Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis. I'm Jerome Davis. Uh, I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome all of you to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today, we're talking with our newly appointed Director of Education, Kaylee Morrison. Kaylee, welcome. Thank you. Well, we're gr- glad to have you here. Uh, we are just ready to start the new school year. The students are back in session, and um, I know that you have uh, quite a bit of experience as, a, as an educator, uh, but also are quite well known in this community as an actor. Uh, so why don't you tell us, uh, first of all, just a little bit about your background, where you're from originally, uh, how you got involved in the theater, and what you've been doing recently. Well, I uh, was born and grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and the question that always follows that is, was your family in the military? Yes. <laughs> and besides my grandfather, no, we were not military-affiliated. Uh, um, yeah, I grew up there. I went to Cape Fear High School, and we were lucky to have a theater program there, just a small department, not super well-funded, but we managed to get through and do two productions a year usually. Uh-huh. And so that's how I really got my start. Didn't start until I was a teenager. And you have a sister as well. I have a twin sister. I so did. you guys were both there at the same time. <laughs> we were both. I've always said we we are very different in how we process things and how we see things, but we always have had very similar interests, which I think has always been really neat to mm-hmm. have that. Um, She's an actor as well. She is. Yep. Yeah. She works out for. Uh, the Cherokee Historical Association, she, uh, which is the company that produces Unto These Hills uh, outdoor drama in Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh-huh. What's her name? Her name is Kara Morrison. Kara and Kaylee. Yep. Well, <laughs> I was a twin too growing up, and uh, and fairly quickly after my brother and I got involved in the theater, we started noticing that we were basically running the place. I imagine you, <laughs> you had a similar experience at your school. We've always been very as soon as we because we got involved at the same time and as soon as we did we knew like okay this is our thing and this is we're gonna go all in for it so we've always had very active roles in whatever departments or companies we were working within and um she's uh i admire her as an artist and she's good at the administrative side as well of things and um i've yeah i've, I've enjoyed watching her throughout her career as well. Mm-hmm. And when, when your parents heard that both of their daughters were interested in theater, they were appropriately supportive <laughs> and, and delighted by that? Well, I don't think they had any other uh, options because it started very young when we were little. Uh, I feel very lucky to have had her because who else would indulge me in creating little plays? We were always making up little little performances we were always trying to pull our friends into it sometimes they would oblige us sometimes it was like pulling teeth to get mm-hmm. someone to <laughs> work on a production with us for the Christmas party or whatever the sure, case may sure. be um, but yeah I think my parents knew they that they were doomed <laughs> as far as our uh, career choices I think my mom she she probably would have loved for me to have gone into um, medicine but that is 
the last thing uh-huh. that could have happened, I think. Right. Well, there's a, there's a kind of um, uh, intense scrutiny of the human condition that uh, uh, being an actor involves, and so that's uh, yeah. not entirely uh, out of line with, uh, with medicine, I suppose. <laughs> when I was, uh, at least that's my story and I'm sticking to it, um, when, when I was a, a child, my parents took my brother and I to see at a drive-in movie theater back when they used to have such a thing, a movie called uh, One Million Years B.C., mm-hmm. which was a, a, a flimsy excuse to have uh, Raquel Welch uh, <laughs> traipse around in the woods with almost no clothes on uh, and a bunch of dinosaurs uh, uh, chasing after her. And uh, and so my brother and I got home that night and, and produced an elaborate stage version of One Million Years B.C. Nice. Um, involving dinosaurs, uh, volcanoes, and as I recall, we somehow uh, neglected to include the Raquel Welch character. <laughs> she, she was peripheral to our, our vision of what, uh, of what had gone on in that story. And so uh, that was my first uh, uh, stage play, and it was, uh, it was quite a spectacle, I imagine. But, uh, yes. but it sounds like you and I had similar experiences growing up. I uh, think so. We used to, me and my sister, we were always into... Nothing that was from our generation, basically. We used to play uh, Gilligan's Island, and we used mm. to play um, Brady Bunch and fight over who got to be Marsha. And <laughs> we would stage. Um, we I remember every summer we had this babysitter. We would stay at her house, and there'd be other kids there too. And we would always create little shows and recreate movies and mm-hmm. television shows. And yeah. you know, there was always, always way more girls involved. I think there was like one boy that would be there. And, right. So not he, enough he roles the, to go around. He was the smart guy. <laughs> yeah. he, he was known as the smart guy. He had to play all the male roles, and sometimes, you know, we had to play male roles as well, which, you know, was fine. But we all wanted to be the Cinderella and mm-hmm. the, you know, the, sure. um, the Marianne princess, yeah. and yeah. Ginger. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. someone had to be Mrs. Howell, too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes, I do know. Um, so, uh, Kaylee, uh, talk to me a little bit then about uh, your education. After after high school, you went to uh, college uh, in um, North Carolina, here in North Carolina? I did. I went to Campbell University. Uh, and um, you studied theater there? I did. I studied theater with um, a concentration in acting, but um, being just a small department, we did do a lot of uh, technical theater, too. It was just expected of us, um, very small department, usually about, when I was there at least, I'm not sure how it would compare today, but um, usually around 16 or so majors. Majors, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's good. And what uh, sorts of things did you do at Campbell? We had to do everything. <laughs> we had to, um, I mean, I, I did like, light board op. Um, I, I got to act in productions right away in my freshman year, which mm-hmm. I feel very um, fortunate to have had as an experience. Um, what, uh, what sorts of plays did you do? All kinds. We, uh, I remember the first play I did there was actually um, the musical Pippin, uh-huh. and I was in the ensemble. Uh-huh. I've done that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did dramas like I remember doing Dead Man Walking. I, I recall doing several children's shows. Like mm-hmm. we, um, we did um, Your Good Man Charlie Brown and um, a straight but very whimsical play called Two Donuts. It's almost uh-huh. like a Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland type tale where a child goes off into some uh, fanciful mythical, world. fanciful yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I'm sure there's there's more that I'm forgetting now, but um, I did a lot of 
children's theater mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember people trying to steer me in that direction. Um, you have to go to children's theater. And, um, and I do enjoy it, but I don't think I've, I've done a lot of it since, since I've, college. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, children have some of the best... Uh, uh, BS meters, uh, uh, you know, built <laughs> into true. them, and, and so when you, it's it's tricky because the impulse is to think, well, this is for kids, and so not as much attention or not as much uh, intensity is required for it. But my experience has been exactly the opposite: that when you get in front of an auditorium full of children, you'd better be telling the truth because they will instantly recognize it if you're not, and and become bored or uh, worse, <laughs> and so um, and so we uh, we always try when we tour to schools here at Burning Coal. We always try to take uh, the A team with us as much as we can. And I learned uh, years ago that we you don't want to uh, uh, take material that's that's beneath them, right? Uh, that they can easily grasp. You want to take material that that challenges them. And if you can do that, you can get the attention of of in, just about any uh, young person. Um, because uh, people in, instinctively and intuitively uh, and from an early age want to learn. That's what we do. We come out of the womb uh, looking around and reaching and grabbing, you know, at whatever comes our way. And, uh, and that process, uh, if we're fortunate, is allowed to happen by both our parents and then also by, by good teachers uh, who, who understand that uh, learning how to learn is is more important than learning particular details, uh, dates or names or um, historical events. And so, so uh, I think that theater is a good way to to uh, teach that to young people uh, because what they will see on stage if you bring something uh, intelligent and mature to them is. Uh, is beyond them, beyond their experience, and it's another world for them. And so naturally, they're going to to listen and be curious about it. It's when you try to placate them and play to them that you uh, run into trouble. Does that sound familiar to you as a as a working method? <laughs> I think so. It's it's, and I think I've I've had to you know think about this while teaching as well. I think because I've I've tended to work with younger kids um you know k through five and um i feel i feel like a lot of adults forget what it's like to be a kid and how scary it is to be a kid and um i think it's very easy to try to lecture or 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 talk at them as opposed to connect with something from their understanding and it's not that they're less intelligent they have the compa- the capacity to understand things i think we just have to put ourselves in their shoes a little bit and that goes into performing or working performing or working with with kids yes. and putting yourselves in their shoes and how did i feel when this situation was happening or a similar situation was happening being at this age right right it is a scary time uh, it's a very scary time and uh, again the the good teachers will will take that um, uh, anxiety and and use it to their advantage, uh, right? Because anxiety and curiosity are, often go hand in hand. So, right. 
Um, I think it, uh, um, there's an example of it um, in a, a play that I was uh, reading recently again for the second or third time called uh, Jerusalem by Jez Butterworth, uh, which Mark Rylance had, had done in London and later in New York. And, uh, but it ends with his character um, uh, almost naked, uh, covered in blood, and um, uh, there are drums beating, and he believes that giants uh, who used to roam the earth uh, in the ancient times are about to reappear and rescue him from his humdrum mm -hmm. life. And, and uh, so that's how the play ends. You can imagine what gets to that point uh, is quite a lot of uh, interesting stuff. But, uh, but Rylance said in an interview recently that he got a, uh, a letter from a woman uh, after she saw the play and she said uh, the play was so moving to me the last time I was naked covered in blood my ears pounding and waiting to meet giants was when I was born Wow. And I thought, my gosh, <laughs> such a great way to describe yeah. uh, the experience of, of, um, of, of birth, but also that experience of meeting the world for the first time, right. which children do. So, um, so after college, uh, Kayla, you have uh, been engaged in uh, a number of theater uh, companies, uh, Burning Coal for one. You, mm -hmm. you were in our production of Written on the Heart uh, last year. I think we could say you played the female lead in that show. Um, and uh, you have uh, also worked with Sweet Tea Shakespeare in Fayetteville. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Sweet Tea Shakespeare, um, I, they are based in Fayetteville, um, which is where I'm from. After school, um, I went home for a while quite a long while actually and um, I was in their very first production it was a production of Much Ado About Nothing and I had never performed in a Shakespeare play before um, yeah. I remember being in a career like a theater careers class in college where we had to make a list of what type of theater we would be likely to be cast in or whatever. Uh -huh. And that, I think Shakespeare was the very last thing on my uh -huh. list. And yet, uh, I mean, we had, to, of course we had to study it, but um, it was, you know, it was something that I was never overly um, interested in as some of my classmates were. Um, but the opportunity came about to, to be in this production. And um, I had met Jeremy Feebig, who is the founder and artistic director of Sweet Tea. Um, he had come to Campbell to adjudicate some of our um, end of semester performances. And um, so yeah, I did that and that was their very first production and I've just been working with them pretty much ever since as a company member. I've done um, several Shakespeare titles mm -hmm. with them as well as other classic plays that are not Shakespeare. So you, you were thrown into the deep end, oh, uh, sort yeah. of. It, it was uh, <laughs> uh, from zero to 60 uh, 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 as far as Shakespeare is concerned. <laughs> and um, what did you learn about it uh, doing that? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that there's another way to do it. You, you either are, are speaking uh, Shakespearean verse or you're not, uh, and so I guess uh, everybody, to some in some sense, is thrown off the deep end. But what what was it like for you as an actor? It was very intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. um, it, like I said, it, we we had to study Shakespeare in school, but um, in college, in both uh, acting classes and theater history classes, and of course, you know, English classes as well. Um, 
and the the language is something I still have to work very hard on probably more so than some of my other castmates at times it's, it's something that always is going to require extra homework and study um, for me in terms of acting it and um, performing I've kind of learned I just have to approach it my own way which is um, not over layer it with I think it should be this or I think it should be that and I do mm -hmm. fall into this trap sometimes mm -hmm. still of course but um, I think just thinking of it as yes it is this highly regarded style of um, writing and performance but at the end of the day it's a play mm -hmm. and it's got human themes and human characters and some of them are in extremely heightened situations, which of course yes. most plays are. Right. <laughs> but um, just approaching it as this is a human, what's my objective, and just going from there. Yeah, this, the, the thing about uh, Shakespeare is that in his day, and really up until, up until the 20th century, it was thought that, that tragedy, uh, in order to tell the story of, uh, to tell a tragic story, it was necessary for the, the hero or heroine to fall from a great distance, right? Mm -hmm. And that meant they had to be royalty or they had to be gods. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until, really until Arthur Miller, I think, um, uh, well into the 20th century, uh, you know, Miller said with um, a Death of a Salesman, you know, Willie Loman it, it does fall from a great height. It's just, it's a, it's a height that he attained in his mind, right? right. Uh, and, and so it became possible at that point for us to conceive of tragedy that, uh, that was about common, you know, sort of everyday people. Uh, but in Shakespeare's time, that idea had not yet uh, been um, formulated. And so a lot of his plays are about, uh, you know, people who at least on the surface would seem to be outside of the scope of our normal experience right. and that sort of thing. And you're doing King Lear right now. I am. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> uh, but you're, you're playing one of the daughters. So I'm playing me. Regan. Regan, yes. yeah. So uh, what is the relationship between uh, Regan and her uh, father? Um, and that's something I'm still developing each night in rehearsal. Um, but it's definitely strained, to say the least. Uh -huh. yeah. um, Regan is the middle daughter and of course Cordelia the youngest is his favorite and I think there's been a lot of trauma and pain that has come from him his neglect and I have some other ideas of like of I guess backstory that's not mentioned specifically or directly in the play right. um and so I I do think she I do think in part she of course she has love for her father but I think there's a lot of trauma a lot of hurt there uh, and, and mistrust of, for sure yeah. um yeah. and when he you know he's basically going to give away parts of his kingdom to his three daughters of course she plays the game um you know he wants them to say who who loves me the most and they're, they'll get the most land or um and so of course she plays the game but she's not She's not a, a daughter that's going to show real affection, love. Not that mm. there's none there, but it's it's just been 
not a good experience for her with her father. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's something that every young person can relate to, right? You're the oh, middle sure. child. You you don't have any respect for your parents. They're mm -hmm. uh, you know not seeing the world the way that I see it, and um, and your siblings are um, you know problematic too. They're competitive and. Uh, not people that you uh, particularly respect either, and so you feel quite alone in the world. And that's that's a, you know that could be a play about a family today, right? There's nothing about that that's that's unusual, except that Lear happens to be a king, and right, right, right. Um, yeah, and he's also you know becoming more senile by the minute. Uh, again, something we can uh, very much relate <laughs> right. to. Right, and I think you know. We, we see we see examples of that all the time with, with people with um, aging parents who are you know becoming especially if there's been a lot of trauma between the, the parent and the child you know it's it's I'm now having to become your caretaker when you never really were much of a caretaker to me and there's mm -hmm. a lot of resentment and yeah um, but if I don't do it, I don't get the land. That's also right. true. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, so it's, uh, it's a very modern, it, it seems like a very modern play. And, and most of Shakespeare's plays, if you scratch beneath the surface of, surface of the, uh, you know, sort of slightly heightened language, although it is modern English, and, and it's worth remembering that, that, that Shakespeare is not considered early or even Middle English, but, right. but modern English. Uh, and introduced hundreds and hundreds of words to the English language that are still spoken today. Um, upstairs, for instance, is a word <laughs> right. that had never been used in the English language before. Uh, puke is another one, uh, <laughs> one of my personal favorites. Uh, uh, and, um, and so uh, he was a contributor um, to our current uh, you know, discourse as much as any, uh, more than any writer who has ever written in the English language. Uh, and the last uh, play you did for us uh, was largely about William Tyndale, who introduced more idioms, uh, more turns of phrase into the English language than any, uh, any writer. So, so you're definitely on a, uh, <laughs> a, on a path uh, uh, related to language. Um, Kaylee, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting um, question, and I have to ask this uh, without trying to steer too far into the realm of the political, but um, it does feel that, that language is being abused today in certain uh, circles, particularly in the political arena, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and perhaps uh, because of the mechanisms that are being introduced into society, like the limitation of our uh, conversation to 140 characters, for instance. Uh, and I wonder, as a, as a teacher and as an actor, and, and now as a significant uh, participant in, in uh, Shakespearean productions, uh, how, how you see that, how you feel about that, and what do you think could be done about it? Um, in terms of fear of losing yeah. certain parts yeah. of language? Or? Yeah, well, it just it feels like language is being turned against us almost uh, uh, with the, uh, you know, the wild overuse of uh, fake news and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, uh, but also just, uh, you know, people who are in the public discourse who can't speak proper English, you know. Right, and I, I working with a lot of 
particularly young people, I see that a lot. There's no interest in language or preserving language or um, speaking or writing in a way that um, is considered, you know, beautiful or meaningful. And that's not true for for every young person. Um, I had the privilege of uh, working with a a class of uh, middle school students um, this past school year uh, that worked to um, create a hip hop song. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them, it, it was different levels, and some of them like really gave it a lot of thought and came up with some really beautiful um, poetry, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I do worry about it. Um, I, I don't like this whole, I mean, I, I use social media and everything, but I feel like everything is so oversimplified nowadays, and um, I, I, I don't want us to be like a, and now I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> no. um, I, I, it, it, it does. It, it scares me. I've seen, uh-huh. not personally, but I know of you know language that languages that have perished or all but perished. Mm-hmm. And um, there's so many great things. I, I, I also think about in terms of like, you know, what we see being written in terms of like music, like right. music from the '80s, the 1980s is lyrically I'm very generally speaking right. um, I also probably at this point should mention I'm a huge Prince fan uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I take a look at like lyrics from from his music and I compare them to like the pop icons of today and it's right. there is no comparison right. um, and that's just one generation <laughs> removed basically right right yeah, so you or, see this rapid decline and a lot of it comes from this weird text so we're almost getting like a new language with these yeah. like you said 140 characters and mm-hmm. emojis and right. acronyms um kaylee um so it seems to me uh, uh, you know rather uh, perhaps obvious uh, obviously uh, that uh, that teaching is a uh, uh, a way uh, to work against that uh, that sort of thing, and you know, one of the reasons why we uh, emphasize Shakespeare at Burning Coal is that we, I mean, simply put, we believe he was the greatest writer that the English language has yet produced. Um, but also, he, uh, uh, as as Harold Bloom talks about in his book Shakespeare and the Invention of the Human. Um, Shakespeare was sort of a precursor to Freud. He, he was the first writer to suggest that, that a character in a play could be more than just one thing. Right. Before that, we had stock characters, uh, right. Right, like in the Commedia mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of thing, uh, uh, where, um, uh, or in the Greek times where, you know, uh, this character was uh, fighting against hubris, uh, for instance. Uh, but in Shakespeare's day, uh, the uh, the idea began to come to the forefront that human beings were multifaceted, and so um, built into that idea, I think, is the idea of empathy. Right? Mm-hmm. If you can understand that the person that that doesn't look like you or doesn't have the same life experiences as you also uh, might have some of the same experiences as you or some of the same feelings uh, as well as being those other things, then you you were at the beginning of, of empathy or respect for that person and their culture. So I think it's, uh, I think teaching and particularly uh, teaching theater are good ways to, um, to, to make sure that that uh, 
trajectory is uh, is fought against uh, as often as possible. Oh, for sure. It, anytime you're you're taking in a role, um, you have the opportunity to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I I personally believe that we all as human beings have these common threads, and sometimes you have to search a little bit harder for them. But they're there. We all have. There's no human being that gets away with in life without facing some kind of hardship, right. um, feeling, you know, different emotions. Um, and then, I, I think theater is very valuable in um, helping people to understand and empathy, yeah. and putting not just feeling a way about a situation, but taking on that feeling mm -hmm. and realizing and exploring it yourself as right. well. Right, we, we call it the magic if, right? right. <laughs> what would I do if I were in that situation? Right. And that's used in the context of an actor, you know, a, a, a method acting, you know, particularly. But it's also a question, I think, that we ask our audiences to take on whenever mm -hmm. they enter into a new world uh, and meet a new set of characters that they otherwise would never have had the chance to meet. Right. So um, we appreciate your doing the podcast. We appreciate your joining the team here at Burning Cold. We're very much looking forward to the coming year, working with you uh, and seeing you out in the schools, uh, working with some young people on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our production, Peter Pan and Wendy, running from November 30th to December 17th, 2017 at the Murphy School in Raleigh. For more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org.